Hello and welcome to Good News That Actually Is, where three to five sets you free to thrive. Three to five minute encouragements to help your joy by empowering your soul. I am your host, Tim Ashley. I want to talk to you about faith pressing forward this morning because I want to encourage you because many of us have, we've had situations arise, we've had circumstances arise, there have been loved ones lost, there have been people who have been sick and and there have been jobs affected, there's been things that have gone on uh, that if we allow it to, uh, it can minister deep discouragement to our hearts and to our souls but Jesus has a solution for us. And his solution is himself, right? I want to read to you from Philippians 3, 13 and 14 because I think it's so appropriate because we're all in the place of a test right now. Um, and part of that has to do with we're not completed in the sense that in the natural, everything is not where it ought to be. In the spirit, we're complete. Our souls are trying to catch up as we renew our mind with the word, but our bodies are usually a little bit behind, right? Philippians three thirteen and 14, Paul said this. He said, brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. What is he doing? He's reaching forward to those things which are ahead. He's not caught up on what's behind and he's not even all caught up in his now. He is pressing forward. He's reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's pressing toward this goal. And right now I know of no better time in human history for the church to be in this posture, in this attitude of pressing, reaching ahead. Reach ahead. How do you deal with one thing after another after another? You reach ahead. If you don't learn to reach ahead, you'll be stuck in the vacuum of everything going on right now. And then the devil will want to load on top of that everything that you think you failed at in the past. He wants to put that on the heap. And he wants to overwhelm your soul. Because what does somebody do when their soul gets overwhelmed? They quit. They quit. It's just too much. But you don't have to quit. If you learn how to reach ahead in faith. Now all throughout scripture, there are examples of men and women who embrace the hope a promise from God offers. It's, it's a promise. By that hope, they lived in faith even though there was no natural manifestation in their now moment of that promise. By doing this, they blessed future generations by remaining faithful and maintaining a good confession of faith even though it made them appear to be ridiculous and crazy to other people. Now, it was their confession of faith resting in hope based on something God had promised 
that caused God to speak about them for generations to come. And by their faith, they obtained a good testimony for all time. How would you like to have a good testimony for all time? Wouldn't that be awesome to have a good testimony for all time? Look at, look at Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 with me, if you would. It says there very simply, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When you hope for something that in the natural is not in manifest form in your life yet, but you've believed it's yours, you manifest by your attitude, by your confession, by your testimony, something that you are firmly convinced of that is invisible to everybody else. But even though it's invisible, it's as real as you breathing the air you breathe right now, as you seeing the person next to you, it's real to you. It's real to you. The Holy Spirit made it real to you. And so that's, that's what faith is. Faith, faith makes real something that you can't see just yet. Only you see it in your soul, in your spirit. You see it. You've received it from God, but nobody else can really see it. You hear what I'm saying? But your soul is drawing in strength. It's drawing in encouragement. It's drawing in life on the basis of the word you've been given by God as a promise. Even though it can't be seen yet. And look at verse 2, what it says. For by this kind of faith, for by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. A faith strong enough to make confession without regard of what others might think, but ends up establishing foundations for future generations to build on that kind of faith. You can walk in that kind of faith. That's a powerful faith. That's, that's powerful faith, saints. This is the kind of faith that gets mentioned by God. This is the kind of faith God mentions. That's a faith that leads a person into a story that gets passed on to others. You know, this, I've had a rough week this week. My body's had a rough summer. I feel like I spent all summer in this building instead of doing the things I would love to do. But after I was done, I'd made a commitment to my wife. I will get to the backyard. I'll get to the deck. I'll get to the things that are starting to show some wear and tear on them. And if I don't get to them quickly, it's going to be bad. So I went out this week. Yeah. And I started a spray stain on my deck. Got to the last six inches. And what happens? The heavens open. Pop up thumb thunderstorm. Six gallons of stain. Washed away. <laughs> So I went out with the water hose later on, hosed it all off, got it all clean. I said, it'll dry out tomorrow. Oh, well. So tomorrow I got out there and I stained it. Looks great. Deck's in fantastic shape. So I go to have my truck have its 100,000 mile checkup and service. I drive a truck in that runs strong and I come out with one that doesn't have a transmission. It works right. 
So it's parked in the side yard. Great looking truck parked in the side yard of my house. Can't move it. It's got to sit there until I can get to the service place. So I got all these things happening. I'm getting reports from people what they're going through and everything else. If you don't learn how to encourage your soul, you will be overwhelmed so fast. You know, there's one place in Scripture that Paul said, despite all of these tribulations I've been suffering, added to that is the burden I carry for all the churches. If Paul had not learned how to take care of his own soul, he would have quit. He would quit. You never know how close to quitting you can be. This is why what Pete shared last Sunday here is so vital and important to us. To be meditating in the Word of God, to be letting the Word of God find entrance into our souls is so critically important because you never know when a test is going to arise in your life and it's going to be one of the hardest tests you may have to ever face. And God, God is always willing to have you prepared for those situations. He sees them before they come. This is what reaching ahead means. When I'm reaching ahead in faith, I'm tapping into that, that person, the being of God who is without time. All right, you understand what I'm saying? God is not subject to time. So God is living in a state of being that everything is swallowed up into who he is. He can take you and have you ready for what is coming up ahead. But he's administering into your soul, into your spirit of faith in the now for something that hadn't even arrived yet. He prepares us. He prepares us. If you remember, this is not even my notes. I'm just going freelance right now. <laughs> uh, he prepares us just like he prepared Abraham. He was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, can I do this thing and not tell my friend Abraham what I'm up to? Right now, angst and worry is rampant all over again. Angst, worry, fear, apprehension. All these things are trying to find a grip on hearts again. Listen, your God is your friend. Your Savior is your friend. He will make you ready for whatever is coming. Some of you need to fast social media, the news. You need to shut it all down. Just don't even look at it. I'm getting aware I'm so sick of Facebook. I'm so sick of listening to Christians complaining about what's wrong with everything. I want to tell you something that's right. God is good. And God is for you. Are you hearing me? I know that right now a lot of things are going on and, and everything in your flesh is not feeling that. But that can't alter who he is in your life. He is a good God. He's going to be a good God in your life. He is there for you. He is with you. He is going to carry you through. You're going to make it. Now, 
the faith that leads a person into a story that gets passed on to others is an example for us in verse 4 of Hebrews 11. For instance, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. We're still talking about this guy today. That's a long time to be talked about. We're still talking about him because of his faith. Abel, one of the first sons of Adam, is still speaking to us today and has spoken to us in every generation since the creation of man. His act of faith in offering a proper sacrifice is still mentioned today because God was pleased with Abel's faith. He was pleased with his faith. Abel reached forward prophetically to know what to do in his own time and faith, obedience. He reached forward. He reached ahead. The sacrifice that was implemented is reaching ahead prophetically to something God is going to do. And that kind of faith drew negative attention to him from his brother Cain. You know, Cain wanted God to accept the sacrifice of Cain's own making, devoid of relating with God to know what he desired. Cain expected God to be delighted with his self-efforts. Cain wanted God to do it Cain's way. And so when Cain's offering was rejected, Cain got angry, needed someone to blame, so he targeted his brother who walked in true faith. You know, when things are going wrong, the easiest thing for us to do as human beings is look for who to blame. Or what to blame. Who's to blame or what is to blame. And, but God's even bigger than that thing. That's a, just a, it's just an automatic trigger in us. You know, when my truck acted up, I, first, first, first thing going on to me is, what did you do to my truck? I brought a truck I could drive into your shop. I can't drive my truck. What did you do to my truck? We change the fluid and the filter in your transmission. It's exposed to weakness. So you're telling me just changing the fluid and the filter in my truck did this. It looks like that's what's happened. The converter is not working properly. There was probably stuff in there that the fresh fluid is, it's, it's just exposed to weakness. Not your fault, not our fault. It is what it is. We're sorry. We'll give you some money back. But that's all we can do. But my flesh wants to say somebody is responsible for this. You, you follow what I'm saying? But the Spirit of God is saying it's a mechanical device. These things happen. Will you trust me? On the outcome. Will you trust me that I, if you don't understand, repairing stuff like this is not cheap. <laughs> so God will take care of it. Obviously he will. But all of that stuff is cycling through my mind. I got so many other things going on right now. So many other things I'm trying to get addressed and taken care of. And so many other people who are hurting that I want to be there for. So many other situations playing out. It's true. 
I'll leave this service today and I'll drive to Maryville to be at a funeral for parents who have lost a son. Parents aren't supposed to go after their kids. In the natural progression of things, they're supposed to go before. That's a tough place to find yourself. And I'll be expected to say something, even though I'm not preaching a funeral because I don't want preaching. I've been asked to say something, and I will. And I'll trust the Holy Spirit to put it in there, what I need to say, because that's all I know to do. Because if I rely on the empathy of my flesh, I'm just, I, I told Sheila, I said, I don't got anything in my flesh. I got nothing. There's just nothing here. All I have is the Lord. That's all I have. And all I can do is rely on him. Right? I know a truck in light of other things going on can seem trivial. But see, that's just one thing in a line of other things. I said goodbye to a lot of precious people in 2020 for the last time. To my puppy in 2020. I, I understand the loss. I, I feel the loss. I, I've, I've been feeling it for quite a long time. But the Holy Spirit wants to bring us through all of this yes. as more than overcomers. Not in denial of it. Right. Yeah. Right. But just simply as more than overcomers. And he will do that in our lives if we will let him instill in us the word of hope that produces faith that can reach forward. Are you following me? Now, when you walk in true faith, you sometimes get targeted by those held captive by their own self-effort. Self-effort finds it hard to appreciate anyone walking purely by faith in the completed work of Christ. It cannot rejoice over your faith. Instead, it must complain about it, criticize it, make fun of it. Because unbelief complains when the will and work of God is simplified and uncomplicated. I'm going to offer you an example of what I'm talking about this morning. Jesus performed a great miracle one day, and he fed a multitude with loaves and fishes from one little boy's lunch. Afterwards, he and his disciples crossed the lake to another town, and the people who had received the miracle showed up there asking him questions. Let's pick it up if you'll turn your Bibles to John 6, beginning in verse 26. And I just want to read this, this exchange because there's some important points in it. John 6, verse 26 is where we'll begin. They show up, they're asking any questions, and Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. A natural yearning and need was met, and that's, they, want, they want that convenience for the rest of their lives now. Don't ever want to go hungry again. Don't ever want to have to work to get that or anything. It just feed me, feed me, feed me, right? So he says, verse 27, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. 
Then they said to him, and here's key, you should underline this in your, your Bible. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Behind this question is a whole lot. Because in other words, what can we do that we could just take a couple of fishes and a few, you know, a few loaves of bread and, and, and feed, the, feed the poor and the needy? Just distribute it at will, including ourselves. Make this convenient miracle ours. I want to walk in a convenient miracle in every hardship I'm going to face in life. That's behind this question. Look at verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Well, he, they've already acknowledged that, that they were part of the miracle of the feeding of thousands with a little boy's lunch. Verse 31, look, they, now they're going to get spiritual. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They think they're just so astute here, so smart, so mature, right? Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. You can sit and rejoice over that manna story all you want to, but I'm here. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is, you should underline this, this is the will of the Father who sent me. That of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. But see, when people are in unbelief, look at verse 41 and 42, what unbelief does in the heart. The Jews then complained about him. Because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? They were so fixated on what they could see with their natural eyes, they could not reach ahead in faith and take hold of a promise being offered in that very moment. A promise offered in that very moment. Now, Jesus had just made both the work of God and the will of God extremely simple in response to the claim of the people desiring to do the works of God and the will of God. 
But they complained because the very specific but simple thing they said they wanted to know about, they would not believe. They wanted something that would appeal to their own sense of self-accomplishment and be a fix for everything they felt was wrong in their natural existence. Now, I don't want to be found impugning God's love, his goodness, his faithfulness, simply because something hasn't happened the way I desired it to every time in the natural. Scripture reveals that the heroes of faith died not having witnessed the very thing they believed and testified to for most of their lives. Look at what Hebrews 11.39 says to that. 11.39 and 40, it says, All of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Whoa, wait a minute. What? I thought if you had the faith, you got the promise. In this case, the messianic promise they were believing for was yet for a later time. God having provided something, verse 40, better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Isn't that interesting? I don't think it honors God to be treated like a ghostly guest at a seance, asked to do something to prove he's present. Thankfully for our benefit, God often does marvelous things when he's among a group of people walking in true faith. But what he does is based on his love for us, not on what we do to earn it. We are best equipped when we walk in a faith that's empowered by a revelation of his love for us. How do you get that revelation to stick and to stay when your natural circumstances are saying Everything is contrary to that reality. See, we want to we address things from a more natural bent. Like, like if my kid were to fall and scuff their knee, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bandage that knee. I'm going to fix that knee. I'm going to comfort my kid, et cetera, et cetera. So God should be there, Johnny on the spot, every single time, not, no fail, no, just take care of it instantaneously right then and there. And God is there. Now, I'm a little bit different of a dad because I did some things that were a little different. So don't judge me for this. This is just how I did it, okay? When my kids fell and scuffed their knee, I say, oh, hey, look, it's still there. You got the lower part of your leg. Get up, walk it off. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, bleeding. Well, you need me to cut it off and we'll just bandage it up, cut it off, see how you do without it. What do you think? No, 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 no. Well, okay. What's, you're not dying. This is not a, you know, a wound unto death. This is just a scrape. Don't get dramatic on me and act like you're dying because I've just run out of my house thinking you did something horribly bad. My niece got her first whipping from me <laughs> for that very reason. She squealed like she was dying and come flying out of the house and nearly broke my neck to find she had a tiny scrape on her knee, barely even showing any hint of a bleeding. I thought the child was dying, broke a bone or something. And I said, your reaction to your situation is way in excess of any kind of reality. I need to teach you 
how to get in touch with your emotions to reel them in so you don't get somebody killed trying to respond to a tiny little scratch on your knee. She's never forgotten that to this day. And how many of us as adults do the same thing? We, we amp up the drama. You don't have to amp up the drama. Your situation is what it is and it is enough. It is enough as it is. And anybody who's moved by the Holy Spirit to be empathetic towards your situation will get it concretely, even if you say it in a monotone way. You don't have to add a whole lot of drama. You really don't. And it's not good for your soul to do it. Because that kind of thing lends itself to trying to sow the seeds of doubt into your soul about whether God is going to be good to you in this situation or not. Are you following me? So we have to learn to reel these things in. I remember Pete Beck telling me one time, he said, he said you know, he said, not everything requires that you say it with tears. That can be manipulation. I, no, 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 no. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying what you did up here was wrong. Don't go there. Don't go there. I'm not even thinking about you, Kathy. Just don't even go there, okay? I'm talking about me, okay? <laughs> so, what? But he was trying to get across to me and say, you know, you're, sometimes you're better off just to say it and let it stand. And that way nobody can say you, you manipulated their emotions on it or did anything about that. They just have to deal with the truth you're speaking. Now, I'm speaking in terms of delivering a word from the Lord to people, right? I'm not talking about getting up here and talking about what your family going through and all that stuff. So, but do you follow what I'm saying? Think about how you're doing what you're doing. Because people get sucked into your orb, your, your atmosphere. You know? My truck's got transmission problems. It's parked in my side yard. It's not going to be there forever. It will get fixed. I'm just not getting to enjoy driving it right now. That's, that's the long and the short of it. It's really that simple. Uh, oh, poor me. I'm driving my Mustang. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Now, I could say, man, I'm without my truck. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then some of you be saying, I got a car I could loan you. Do, do I really need you to loan me your car? You, you see what I'm saying? Now, I can't say much for Sheila because I'm driving the Mustang she normally drives when I got my truck. <laughs> so, even though I'm not enjoying having my truck, it wouldn't be appropriate to pitch it to you like I'm in dire straits. And then get you in life to rally yourself, burn yourself out, trying to come to my aid. And if I do that too often, when the time really comes in my life, when I really desperately need your aid, you're going to be like, ah, 
It's probably like one of these other times before. I had just, you know what? I'm not going to return his call. I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll wait till the next day. I'll, you know. Are you hearing me? I don't want to treat God like he's got to do something to fix my natural situation right this instance if he wants me to believe in him, if he wants me to testify of his goodness, if he wants me to testify of his love, if he wants me to testify of his grace, if he wants me to testify of his mercy, he better get my truck fixed on Monday. Really? Really? This sickness better end in two seconds. Really? Think about that for a second. What are the things that we're trying to say God must do if... Are we trying to sell God our testimony? Are we trying to make a deal with God about our testimony? Are we reaching ahead in true faith, rooted in a hope based on a promise he's already spoken, and we are convinced about his character and his nature? You can't earn anything. This is the other side of that coin is things start to go bad, and you start to say, man... I wonder what I did to deserve this. God must be trying to get my attention. God must be doing, you know. No, 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 that's not proper either. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Faith working through what? Love. You need a sound revelation of the love of God in your life. A love of God that is not contingent on your performance. A love of God that is not contingent on your natural circumstances and outcomes. A love of God that's not necessarily contingent on anything happening in your natural life right now. What about Christians who gave their lives for the gospel? Should they have right at the moment of the, the, the persecution and, and all that was going on begin to question the love of God or should they stand firm in it and persevere through it? Another place in Hebrews says that many gave up their lives, lived in caves, lived without clothing, did destitute of whom the world was not worthy. But this they did not accepting Rescue. Didn't even look for an escape. Just accepted it. Because they were so convinced of the love of God and the promise of hope that is in God that they would be with God no matter what happened to their physical bodies, no matter what happened to their natural circumstances in life, no matter what was going on around them, they would be with God. They were so convinced of it, they could face all of these obstacles, all of these situations and difficulties and say, whatever. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. 
Now, why am I saying this? Because tough times are ahead and are already present. Many of us are feeling them. Now is not a time to question whether God is with you, whether God is for you, whether God loves you, whether God will be there, whether God will this, whether God. Now is a time to say, what have I meditated on about the character and the nature of my father that has grounded me to know how to navigate the troubled waters of my life in this moment? What is going to carry me through so that I don't just say, I'm done with this thing. This isn't worth it. Do you understand it's not by seeing something happen that genuine faith is made alive? If you have to see something happen, you're not in faith, you're in doubt. Faith is something that can't be seen. You don't see it yet. It's by believing in the love and goodness of God despite things that you can't see. It's by taking hold of the reliability of his promises, whether, they are, whether or not they're being witnessed in the natural. That genuine faith, that is the faith that is proven to be alive. And that's the faith that'll get people to say, you know, you're probably a few fries short of a Happy Meal. <laughs> they left a hamburger out of the bag you got, you know, come on. What is wrong with you? You keep saying these things, but look at you, look at you, look at you. Why don't you get in touch with reality? When people come to you and say, get in touch with that, they're trying to get you to identify with your flesh and what's happening in your life in the natural and say that it's more real than what God has said concerning you. That's what they're doing. Because the enemy knows that the most deadliest thing that there can be to his plans and his devices, you want to help destroy the works of the devil? Then get your testimony in line with what God says about you. What God has revealed about his own character and what that means for you. That's how you destroy the works of the devil. The devil's always wanting you to look at your natural situation and, 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 and call it, I'm just being real. I'm just being real. Are you or are you nourishing your soul to ex basically drink in and eat and feast on doubt and the goodness of your God and his ability to deliver you? Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? The law is put into motion. What you're supposed to do when the idol and the call is, you know, the trumpets are blown and there's the idol. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to bow and worship. You're supposed to honor the king's God. You're supposed to cave into the cultural moment. You're supposed to yield yourself to what culture in the current state of being says you must do. And what did they do? They stood there and wouldn't bow. What ended up happening? They're brought before the king. You, why, if you'll just bow, 
This will go, if you'll just do this, this will all go away. Your life will be convenient again. All your conveniences that you have enjoyed can be yours again if you will just do this. And they refused. And then the true colors of culture showed up. Stoke the flames of that furnace. Make it red hot. I want it so hot, it'll consume things that get close to it. These guys don't stand a chance. So hot was the fire that those that got close to it perished. The ones tossing them into the fire perished. But they didn't perish. In fact, there was a fourth man in the fire. So amazing was the scene that the king says, come out. (laughs) Come on out of there. Their clothes weren't burnt. They weren't burnt. They showed no signs of effect. And what was the outcome? That's what turned the culture to worship God. When they were able to say, what it was their testimony to the king? King, let it be known to you. We can't bow to this God. It's not a real God. We are faithful to our God. So let me just go on record today saying to you that if you throw us into the fire and we perish, oh well. <laughs> so what? If our God should choose not to deliver us from the fire, we're good with that. We're fine. But we will not bow to your God. We will not give in to your demand. The enemy has a demand on you right now. It's a demand to panic. It's a demand to give in to fear. It's a demand to get anxious. It's a demand to get worried. It's a demand to start questioning whether God is good in his intentions towards you or not. Whether God will honor his word in your life or not. Whether God, God's love is as sure as he has declared it to be in your life. He wants you to question all these things. And he wants you to get to a place where you finally say, what's the point? Where is it getting me? What good is it to show up at church? What good is it to read the Bible? What good is it to spend time with the Lord and and try to relate to him one-on-one? Where does it get me? What good is it to pray? What good is it to do this? What good is it? I'll tell you what good it is. By faith, you're reaching ahead. And you're preparing your soul so that everything that the devil's going to throw at you is just going to bounce off. It won't succeed. And you'll be a living testimony for generations to come. This is how you equip the generations. It's not done in classrooms. It's done by example. The kind of faith that's proven to be alive is a faith that has good confession rooted in the goodness of God. The reliability of his promises will always appear strange to those who lack faith and don't know what it is. But never forget what true faith is. Hebrews 1 in 
chapter 11 told us, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that aren't seen. And that kind of faith is generational faith, saints. It's passed down because it contains examples of trusting God in the darkest of moments. It's maintaining a good confession in the midst of trials and tribulations. It's always reaching forward to bring into the now the reality of who he is. And it is a faith that's determined to promote his goodness and lives on purpose according to his will and his promises in your life. So no matter what you're going through right now, there is a faith to carry you. A faith that can press forward, rooted in his goodness and love, and pull into your now the very thing you need to sail through. I'm not, because, I'm not talking about becoming numb so that things don't affect you. I'm talking about being fully aware, but sailing through because of the work of the Spirit of God in your life and his grace upon you. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is alive. Jesus lives in you. Jesus is our hope of glory. Jesus is our joy and our peace. He is all this because it is who he is. And he lives in you. He came to give us abundant life in every situation. And we're more than conquerors through him. See, this is, this is what faith pressing forward looks like. This is the upward call of God in Christ. Christ, thank God, didn't quit in the garden when confronted with the cross. He reached ahead by faith. I know this is part of the plan. If there's any alteration that can be done to it, then do that. But if not, your will be done. Thank God that was his attitude, right? Because we are the fruit of that. Thanks for tuning in today. Never forget that you are loved by a faithful God whose obedient son, Jesus Christ, willingly died on a cross so that you can live today and always from the abundance of his life in you. Please subscribe and share this with others so that they too can experience the three to five that sets you free to thrive. And be sure to tune in next time to Good News That Actually Is. Please visit us at our website, goodnewsthatactuallyis.com. There you'll find transcripts of the program, video files, and other opportunities. We look forward to visiting with you there and ask you to subscribe. Have a great day.